0: Welcome to Be Customer Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill (laughs) Stakos.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Be Customer-Led. I've got a really cool guest for everyone this week. Eric Huberman is the founder and CEO of Hawk Media. Now, Hawk's a really cool agency. They work with companies to develop sales, marketing, and e-commerce strategy, really with a, from a perspective of like maximizing visibility for the organization. Eric also wrote a book called The Hawk Method, and we're going to get into that and what Hawk Media does. Eric, welcome to the show. Really excited to get into this conversation.
0: Yeah, no. Thank you for having me.
1: All right. So today, folks, we're talking about the principles of marketing and where the discipline is headed. We don't do a lot of marketing shows. A lot of them are much more geared towards customer and employee experience, but marketing as a discipline obviously is sometimes the other side of the coin to experience, right? So, Eric, I ask all guests the first question is just tell us about your journey. You've got a cool story. What were the differentiating factors in your career?
0: Yeah. I mean, the, what led me to this, I'd say most directly, is I built and sold two e commerce companies. It was really early in the subscription e commerce space or sort of hype of things and uh, built a t shirt subscription company, sold that, and then joined Science, the incubator, which had just launched Dollar Shave Club, advised there for mm-hmm. their portfolio, helped them pivot a vitamin company to become a women's activewear brand, sold that to Valley Total Fitness after a year called Ellie, still around. And this is about, it's almost a decade ago now. It's actually nine years ago. And then I started advising and consulting for a bunch of brands and ran into the same problem over and over again, which is when it comes time to execute on marketing, finding good marketing is really, really difficult. 99% of agencies out there have no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And the few that are good are either really expensive, want long contracts, high minimums, or something else that makes them hard to work with. And hiring in-house has a slew of problems too. And I talk about it all the time. Like, I, My job is to hire, retain, train, build incredible marketing talent. And marketing infrastructure, you can't replicate that in-house unless you're a Mm. multi-billion dollar company. And even then it's hard. So we I I always allude to the fact that I spend 20 to 30 million dollars a year on my marketing team. So it's got a decent infrastructure. And so and I just got frustrated with it. I saw this with my own brands too, where it's like, why can't this be easier? It doesn't make Mm. sense. And so Under the mission of accessibility to great marketing, I set out and I hired a small team of experts, a little SWAT team. I never thought I was going to build something big. So it was like a Facebook marketer, an email marketer, a web designer, a fractional CMO, seven people originally. And I went back to these brands and said, hey, everything's out of cart, month to month, cheaper than hiring in-house. But basically, we can spin up what you need when you need it. And ebb and flow and change as your needs change. And that's how we started. And now we're 300 people, have managed marketing over time for over 4,000 brands. We've awesome. currently got about 600 companies we're running marketing for as their outsourced CMO and marketing team. And everything's out la carte month to month, but everything's... We really try to have the best talent out there.
1: Yeah. And you guys work with some pretty incredible brands, right? Like Red Bull, Verizon, big US brand, obviously, for international li- listeners, Evite. The list goes on and on. You also wrote a book, Eric, You know The, the Hawk Method. Mm-hmm. Why did you write the book and like what was the genesis of that was it just because of what you were learning and what you were seeing and you wanted to kind of get something out there or was it yeah we were trying to put the business and the book out there together and kind of say here's what we do and here's our process
0: well, I'd say, yeah, the motivation, there was a part of the motivation was marketing and getting the name out there and all that. But I would also say, like, I found myself, I get asked to speak at a lot of conferences. Mm-hmm. I obviously talked to tons and tons of CEOs about their and, and CMOs and heads of marketing about their marketing strategy. And I realized that I was being very, very redundant because it was kind of the same thing every time. And it fell into these three principles of marketing. And I was talking about it for year and I'm talking years, not just like yeah. for three months. I was saying the same thing. It was like years and years and years of talking about the same thing. I got approached by a guy that, said, that ran a book marketing company and said, hey, would you want to write a book and what would it be about? And thankfully, for some reason, it popped into my head. I was just like, yeah, I guess I talk about this all the time. I might as well put it in writing. Yeah. So I always say like writing the book was really easy. Like it took me, there was no writer's block because I literally had been talking about it for seven years and I just had to, I wrote an outline in a, a half hour and then just filled in the blanks with mm. stuff I talked about every day. And so, and I, how I did it was I dictated it and then had them transcribe it. We edited it together. So that's how I put it together. But yeah, it it really was. And then in terms of as a tool, it was great as a marketing tool to get a name Mm -hmm. out there. But more than that, we send it to every client and every employee. And so now we're all on the same page. We all speak the same language, which I would say was the biggest issue. And I don't want to give this full credit, but the retention of customers we've had has actually skyrocketed. We've a little bit of churn we used to have has gone away because It Now we all talk about the same thing. So they can literally go to like, hey, but in chapter four, we talk about this. And like, so our clients aren't trying to guess what we're doing. And one of the three principles of marketing is trust. Mm -hmm. And it helps build a lot of trust when you are literally showing them, this is everything we do. This is how this works. This is our principles. And so when you're questioning our strategy, we're both talking about the same thing. Let's just, what part of the book are you talking about? Because it is a framework. The idea is it's my favorite thing that happened was when we launched, I got my first one-star review on Amazon. And it was like, I don't get it. It's just basically Modern Marketing 101. Yeah. No, you got it, actually. So (laughs) still love referring to that one. I almost want to put that on the cover. One star on Amazon. I don't get it. It's just bought it. But the guy saw... I looked up the guy on LinkedIn because everyone puts their name on Amazon. I was like, I wonder who this is. He saw it and deleted his comment. So it's just a one star now, which hurt because I'd rather have the text there. But yeah, that's basically what we put together there.
1: Very cool. So the three pillars that you've outlined, Eric, in the book are awareness, nurturing, and trust. Yeah. I was, like when I read the book and I was going through it. I was like, it feels like it was purposeful or intentional to kind of lay it out with those three in that way. Is there is there a sequence? Like, I mean, obviously you can't have trust without awareness, right? Yeah. You've got to show sort of that nurture, that commitment. Yeah. Is that the way you're also working with clients? Like, first create awareness, then so- show them how to nurture clients, and then that will ultimately lead to trust and long term relationships. Or how do you think about it?
0: I think from a strategy and planning perspective, yes, I think Mm because that's how it leads. But from an action orientation, it's a tripod. You got to do it all at the same time. Because if you're not, I mean, the day you create awareness, if you're not nurturing it, you've got holes in your bucket. The Mm -hmm. day you create awareness, if you're not building trust, same thing. Like It's like you have to fire on all cylinders. So actually, a lot of times we'll do a little bit of nurturing infrastructure before we launch awareness to make sure that we have email drip campaigns and SMS, et cetera, Mm -hmm. to make sure that we can actually follow up with that.
1: What have you found sort of I mean especially cuz a lot of this has changed so much even I feel like it's changing even like this last year certainly as you think about through the pandemic and what that has created let alone pre-pandemic and what and what's happening from a broader sort of social perspective on some level whether it's influencer or like how people are going about sort of driving sort of that awareness that's changing a lot like tell us a little bit about finding that authenticity, creating the credibility, certainly awareness is a big part of that and creating those right. associations. What are some of the trends you're seeing there? And then what is your maybe favorite medium to kind of build that awareness and trust out of the gate?
0: Yeah, so I'd separate the two, honestly, because I think awareness isn't about building credibility. It's about building awareness. So it's in terms of credibility, it's usually third-party validation. So that's where influencer can come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where testimonials, reviews, PR... And I would say over time, it just become, comes from consistency. What do you consistently deliver? People mm-hmm. trust you, good or bad. One, an example I use a decent amount is McDonald's. Like It's going to be fast. It's probably going to taste the same. Whether you, Let's say you like it, you'll know you're going to get exactly that Big Mac you enjoy. It's unhealthy too, and just pretty much known to be unhealthy. So that's their brand. That's what you trust them for. I don't need anyone else to tell me otherwise or support that at this point. But there was a period when McDonald's was new where it's like mm. you had people talking about how fast it was and I had to, believe, had to be told that because nobody really believes from the, directly from the source. I will say with the nuance of if you say it over and over again for long enough, a lot of times people will believe it. It's like him or hate him, and I'm not a big fan of him, but Trump saying make America great again over and over again, there's a psychological factor to that that it's like, mm. yep, he's going to make it great and people just start believing it. So that's kind of the dark side of marketing, but it's a part of it. On the awareness side, you asked in terms of channels, not much has changed. And so ha- what I say that my favorite current example is anyone that's advertising on Facebook for the over the past year, like meaning like they were more advertising prior to the iOS changes in April of last year, thinks that Facebook has fallen through the floor Facebook advertising doesn't work anymore. And I love mm-hmm. hearing these. They, and I've, I've heard this about email marketing. I've heard this over the years about every single marketing channel has failed, and it's going away and nobody uses anymore. Only boomers are on Facebook now and mm-hmm. only Gen Z's on TikTok, these generalizations that are complete wrong, but do get people to click publications. So their headlines are always there. So with Facebook, what happened was Apple made it basically impossible to track on Facebook. So prior Mm -hmm. to April of last year, you could track 28 days from when someone clicked an ad to when they purchased, which that's where nurturing comes in. So that going back to the principles, that's why this stuff really does fit in very basically. So Mm -hmm. you're creating awareness on Facebook, they're clicking in. And then what we found was in e-commerce specifically, where we have a ton of data. For a $50 average order value, your purchase cycle is about three weeks. So purchase cycle becomes one of the most critical things to measure in marketing that almost no performance marketer looks at. I mean, it's baffling. So the best line that we use for this is nine women can't have a baby in a month. There's not like there is a time that it takes for people to buy. And that Mm -hmm. has gotten longer over the years, because there's just so much more inundation and information out there that it takes time for people to make a purchase decision. And so for a $50 order, it's about three weeks. For $100, it's about five weeks. For $200, about six weeks. And then it trails off between two and three months. But that means for most orders, you're talking about three weeks to three months. So if I advertise something on Facebook today, I'm not seeing the performance of that for about, let's say, three weeks to three months. Mm -hmm. Let's just use that four-week number as a general average. So when they were tracking four weeks, you were getting a decent idea of what your performance was on Mm -hmm. Facebook, and it was matching up. When Apple changed their tracking, they Facebook can't even accurately track at all anymore. But what they do is they create an algorithm that kind of tracks around one week, and so you get kind of one week of purchase data. Mm -hmm. But if your average customer doesn't purchase for four weeks and you're staring at one week of data, it's always going to look bad. So Facebook, for some reason, isn't educating their audience and their customers, their advertisers about this. At the same time, they're basically completely underreporting the performance of Facebook. So if you're reading in the Facebook dashboard right now how it's performing, you think everything has gone to shit. The truth is, it's not that bad. And That's the right. thing I always throw back at people because they're like, "Well, I don't know. I can't really see the performance." I'm like, do you think that Apple changing its tracking system stopped people from purchasing off Facebook? Like, <laughs> let's just take basic numbers here. Consumer spending is up. Do you think people just stopped purchasing because you can't track them?
1: How? how are companies doing that then, though? Are, are they looking at sort of from, from from date of whatever the date of the advertisement to like sales and then comparing it like quarter over a quarter, like how does that work now?
0: Yeah, and there's uh, you can also do your own tracking. Like you can, yeah. there's other cookie tracking. They just yeah. blocked Facebook. So like even Google doesn't have that much issue anymore. So Google Analytics is actually one way to do it. It was another one. Yeah. We're also building out a, we're about to finally launch after like seven years of trying to build this, finally launching our marketing AI tool that's cool. going to have some of this capability, but it's more about marketing monitoring in on an ongoing basis. But honestly, it's just, I think it's a direct attack from Apple to Facebook more than anything. Mm. Yeah. And I never understand the politics of these things and why people don't call it out. But if I were Facebook, not knowing a lot of nuance they know, I'd be like, yeah, by the way, guys, it's just a tracking problem because Apple's being a dick. Mm. Like that's what happened.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. Do you have sort of when you're advising your clients on awareness, do you have is it product driven? Like, how do you start to navigate and and even counsel your clients on like, is it the type of product? Is it the type of the the, the persona yeah. that they're going after? Like what really drives a lot of that decision making?
0: Yeah, it's not the persona because it's an important note. Everyone's on everything now. You can, in terms of like in a generalization, like yeah. people have to say, like, well, Gen whatever, boomers are not on TikTok and Gen yeah. Z is not on Facebook. There's probably hundred million American or not hundred million, there's probably thirty million Gen Z on Facebook in the US out yeah. of hundred million. Like there's plenty of people. Yeah. So you, we don't really worry about demo or that type of targeting. What we look at is context. What is the context that the person receives the ad in and what, what do we mm-hmm. need them? So for any type of company that we're trying to create demand, meaning like they, it's not a need-based product. It's not something that I'm like, I need to solve this problem right now. I have, I don't know, what would I do? I got a DUI. I need a DUI attorney is an easy one because it's like, that's a very specific need. Mm-hmm. I can't target an interest base off that. So I need to go to Google for that. I need to go. Mm -hmm. Someone needs to be looking for DUI help, DUI attorney for me to advertise for a DUI attorney. We're going to go into Google. Vice versa, I'm a running shoe company. Or let's say t-shirt brand. I like Mm -hmm. this because it was still to this day, we go into some of these bigger brands and they are literally bidding on the keyword t-shirt on Google. And you're like, what do you think someone's searching for when they Google t-shirt? It's probably not your shirt. So you're going to (laughs) spend money on that and it's not going to do anything. So Google becomes a hard place where you're creating new demand, where you're like, mm-hmm. we don't know what they're looking for, but we can probably drum up some demand. And that's where Facebook and Instagram really win. Because the difference is, again, Google, you're actively searching for something. Facebook, you're literally just bored and scrolling through a news mm-hmm. feed. And what's really exciting is, in a weird way, is TikTok, I think, is an even more powerful platform than Facebook and Google. The reason being Facebook and Google are built on your social graph. Who do you follow? Who do you like? Who are your friends yeah. with? TikTok's just built on what do you pay attention to. They literally have a Incredible algorithm that the longer you watch a video, they go, Oh, you like these. Like TikTok, my videos at this point are literally like stand up comedy, snowboarding, and flying planes because I'm a pilot. And I didn't tell it that. I just go figure. That's what I uh, look at. And one of my favorite things is I got someone that raised their hand. They're like, I thought TikTok's just a bunch of girls in bikinis in one of my talks. <laughs> I was like, That's awesome. And it was a yeah, really funny event. I and mean, you said this in front of like 100 CEOs. And I'm like, So this is yeah. how it
1: works. No filter. I love
0: that. Yeah. So, but that is how TikTok works. So the reason that's so powerful is people are now used to, you don't see videos from people you follow as much as you see videos of things you like. If I can build and what they haven't done yet, but I'm sure is being built right now is building more and more of that algorithm into the advertising where it's like, oh, like me, I like snowboarding and I like airplanes and I like comedy. Now start showing me advertisements for comedy shows, snowboard equipment, pilot Mm -hmm. stuff. I'd be a great target. I've told you that. And I'm used to seeing that. So it's both are great because both are basically used out of boredom and you're willing to go do something else. But TikTok has that interest graph benefit that I think over time could be really powerful if the Chinese government doesn't continue to use it for evil and (laughs) end up getting (laughs) it banned, which that part is concerning.
1: Yeah, that's a whole different different episode and show. Let's pivot to trust for a minute, Eric. Yeah, I think you can create all the awareness in the world. You can create you could do all the nurturing in the world. Without trust, none of that is sustainable, right? How has social media changed sort of the, the that, that trust game, whether it's even at the company level or at the individual yeah. level? Like certainly like you see all these sort of like individual folks out there with like five hundred thousand followers, they're putting out like books, they're putting out online courses, et cetera. How is trust different because of social? If you guys have explored that.
0: Yeah, I would say it's a lot easier. So I, one thing I like to talk about, I think I mentioned in the book, is the "How I Met Your Mother" sort of dynamic. It's a part in "How I Met Your Mother" where it's a sitcom about a guy telling stories of how he met all these different girls until he met your mother. And he, his best friend, is like a ladies' man. It's what Neil Patrick Harris, and he goes and he's trying to help him meet girls. Ted is the main star, and Barney is his friend, Neil Patrick Harris. And Barney goes up to random girls in bars and goes, "Hey, have you met my friend Ted?" and just walks away. And Ted's like, and they have no idea who Barney was, but they're like, "Uh, okay. And that third party validation, regardless of who the third party is, does actually work. So when you see social media posts about brands, even if you don't know the person, a lot of times you're like, well, if someone's willing to go out and say something like that about them, like at least there's someone validating them, it does create trust. And you mentioned the influencer side with these bigger followers, The problem there, frankly, is they abused it up until Fire Festival when the FTC finally said, this is going to be regulated. And so now they have to disclose that it's an advertisement. And when that happened, the dynamics of that advertising channel completely changed. It used to be the golden goose. Influencer marketing was insane. Now it's basically just another media channel. And it works still, but it's not quite as effective. But I will say, and it's just like endorsement deals. Everyone knows people get paid to endorse products. But there's still a level of trust that like this person still put their name on it, regardless of a paycheck. So if you believe that they're not just going to put their name on anything, which some people will, you you still build that trust.
1: Yeah. Do you think that speed of trust given has accelerated with social media, meaning because I can more quickly get out there into sort of into the public, right? And whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever your kind of platform of choice is, do you think people give trust more quickly now because of the social aspect of that? Or is there still yeah. that, that element where it's like, I'm going to follow this a little bit before I really kind of dig in?
0: I'd say the latter, for sure. I think it's... Listen, the part we talk about this on the marketing side all the time, we're trying to find the early adopters that don't need that much trust. Mm-hmm. That's where the well-hanging fruit is in the beginning. Most people that need trust, oh, word of mouth is still the biggest driver of business, I think probably will always be, which is where, again, social comes in on that. Yeah. So in lieu of word of mouth, you're trying to find people that don't need to build that much trust. They're like, screw it, I'll try it kind of thing. And with whatever that product is, and obviously different products, I need different levels of trust, you're talking about a fashion company, I just want to know, it's not going to fall apart when I get and show up, like, it's gonna look like it did in the pictures, you're talking about a supplement company. Well, now we're talking about life or death. So I might not just take your random supplement. But the so building that becomes a different animal. But I would say people still have the same, I'd say, actually, it's gotten worse in terms of like, people have been burned by so many things. Like, one of my, I, I haven't seen an Instagram channel for this. And I feel like there needs to exist with like all the Chinese products advertised on TikTok and Instagram that you get them. And you're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I, I got like in the middle, of, in the middle of the pandemic I bought, and I'm not a big golfer, but I thought it'd be fun. I bought a floating golf hole from my pool. And I was like, this is gonna be so fun. I'm gonna chip in my backyard. And yeah. like, again, I'm, I golf like three times a year, but I was like, but now I have it in my yard. This could be yeah. great. Shows up and it was like a flat piece of plastic with a little flag. And it was like the cheapest piece of shit ever. Oh my gosh. Like, what? But I and then I saw like people have been posting about this stuff, but like that alone has er eroded. My mom was someone that was clicking all these Instagram ads during the pandemic and buying random stuff and all of it was crap. And so that erodes a lot of trust in these things. Yeah. So people definitely want to see things that indicate they're actually going to get what they're seeing.
1: I'm glad you bought it and you gave me that review because I was thinking about buying one from my pool. I didn't pull the trigger in the summer. Yeah.
0: It was so disappointing. I even kept it for like two months, just like, I'm still going to use it. And then I was like, this thing sucks. And I (laughs) threw it out.
1: It's it's a piece of garbage. Oh, man. So in the section where you talk about trust, you also start to cover the future of marketing. And we talk about the future of different disciplines, whether it's customer experience, talk about marketing, sort of the... I, the next decade is probably like the decade of like AI and machine learning and how that's going to start to fundamentally change the way people do work, right? And yeah. then you've got sort of the no code, low code kind of put component in there baked in. How do you see these capabilities evolving? And where do you think marketing is headed over the next few years?
0: I love that you just teed me up like that. So <laughs> we've been talking about that section was a TED, TEDx talk or mm-hmm. TEDx talk I gave years ago that I've evolved over time. And It also pushed me along with a conversation I had with the CEO of a company called a nonprofit called XPRIZE to figure out what's going to disrupt my business and what's going to disrupt marketing. And seven years ago, we set out to try to build a marketing AI platform. The idea Mm -hmm. is, can we monitor marketing in real time so we can see what's working, what's not, where are the low-hanging fruit? Because it's a lot to look at your Google Google Analytics every day and try to figure out where should I be spending Mm my time. Like, How can we pull that out in real time, tell you where to look? Benchmark it against your industry because one of the biggest challenges I see in marketing is working in a vacuum. That's why agent, every big company uses agencies like we need that outside perspective. Mm-hmm. So, How can we pull benchmark against industry data in real time as well. And then how do we can we get insights to be like, hey, our conversion rate is down. And compared to the industry, it's actually about 25% under industry average. So we should be based on our AOV or however, whatever correlations we discover. So that's something we need to focus on. Well, what's driving that? Well, nothing's changed on our email marketing. Nothing's changed on our website. Oh, but our site speed is down. So there it is. Our site speed went down 30%. So our conversion rate went down. Let's go fix our site speed. That in, I've watched take people weeks to figure out or months. Mm-hmm. And instead we're trying to make it. So it's just like, bing, this is what's happened. That, so what ended up happening is we found a software company that had already built the monitoring tool part of it. We, we had tried to build it a few times and failed a few times, frankly. Finally found someone that got halfway there, partnered with them in February, and now we're going to be launching the first iteration of this tool next month. So cool. Hawk.ai, and we have not announced it publicly. So what do we? Hawk.ai is where it's going to start populating probably August, in a week, probably August 1 is what we're looking at.
1: Very cool. And are you, the benchmarks is it you're anonymizing essentially other clients that are using the not platform crying.
0: we have 10s we have we've partnered with other data companies we have a, Got it. we've audited like yes and, and it, our clients are included in that we do have anonymous usability of their data mm-hmm. but we want to make sure that's super clean because obviously we don't want to our masters is still the agency and we don't want to piss anyone off but the point being it's tens of thousands of companies marketing data it's not just a few here and there in different industries and so yeah we're building that out again the bench that benchmarking side which is super compelling and again the idea is where do I think marketing is going? I think that over time, more and more of what marketers do will be automated. Mm-hmm. And hopefully hope the utopian side is we'll be able to use our highest and best use of our brains to do the really nuanced part of marketing and not spend all this time pulling data and doing things that a computer can do. That's what we're trying to build and get to.
1: Very cool. Very, very cool. That's awesome. How do you... I, one, I got a couple more questions for you before I let sure. you go. Talk to me a little bit about sort of the impact of marketing on customer experience, specifically around sort of these three pillars? And how do you think that they could even influence the experience?
0: Oh, when people ask me what marketing is, I say it's the customer experience from the first time they engage with your brand through the last time they purchase and after that too. So I actually think it's completely intertwined. And the difference is I think that like CX and customer experience as a practice has a much more direct view of engagement with the customer. And again, narrating their experience yeah. but i do think that marketing and cx are just they overlap completely I, I do think that someone paying attention to cx is awesome um, and important but i think from a marketing standpoint that fits right into a lot of what you're doing on the marketing side too it all needs to be seamless
1: a couple last questions where do you get your inspiration from eric
0: the inspiration it's funny i haven't been asked that question I had a, for a long time, it was a chip on my shoulder, for sure. <laughs> I just had a, and, you know, it, mo, I'd say more motivation than inspiration comes from, I really want to experience everything life has to offer. Like, professionally, personally, I, whenever someone's experienced something I haven't, I'm like, I want to try that. Like, it's that, not a jealousy thing. It's just like, yeah. the, I, I, not to get too spiritual, but like, I'm very agnostic. I'm, born and raised Jewish, love the drive, But like, in terms of like, religiously, I'm pretty agnostic. And so I don't know what happens after I die. And so I kind of take it like this might be the the shot I get. And if that's the case, I want to do everything I can, I want to maximize my time here. And so that drives me personally to go bucket with like add to my bucket list and check it off as much as fast as it gets on there. And so thankfully, at 35, I've done some pretty ridiculous stuff. But then professionally, same thing. I'm like, well, Example: I want to run a multinational company. Now we have offices in UK, Canada, China, Philippines here, and we'll keep growing. Like that sounds like something I want to experience. And then, oh, I want to manage a fund. I want to get into investing. Boom, we have our second fund is a fifty million dollar fund. Not boom, like took years (laughs) work. But (laughs) the point is like, and so I'm same thing with software. Like I want to disrupt my own industry. I want to figure out. I'm not a software guy, but I want to figure out how to be a part of it and build Mm -hmm. this thing. And so. Same thing we have our nonprofit arm. I want to give back. I want to make the world a better place. Like I want to try writing a book and publishing a book. Generally it's check boxes too. Like mm-hmm. I will say, I don't know that I'll write a second book. Yeah. I really don't. That was a fair yeah. to take on and I love that I did it. But it's again kind of checking off like let's try all these different things and figuring out what that next move is, mm-hmm. is really a part of what drives me and inspires me. It's like new experiences, new things.
1: Awesome. All right, I've got to ask now that you brought that up. What's the one experience on your list that you have not done yet that you're like dying to do most
0: see that's the thing if i'm dying to do it i've probably done it i'm trying to think of <laughs> uh, one experience that I, I sincerely i mean i've I, I wanted to go heli boarding now i go every year wanted that's to awesome. want to go to the monaco grand prix i have a friend that lives there thankfully like there's a lot of like luck in this and it's like i just happen to have a friend that lives right 15 minute walk from the racetrack so i was cool. able to do it even when the means weren't there
1: monaco is um, a very special place yeah it's that fun. you really do need means for by the Always. way that's the-
0: <laughs> yeah there's some places travel wise, like I still really want to go to I want to try hiking in Bhutan. I want to go to mm-hmm. Turkey. But like another good example, we were on our honeymoon, we my wife and I want to do safari. We did it for our honeymoon. Now three years ago, just almost exactly. And while we're on our honeymoon, everyone's like, Oh, you got to try hiking with the gorillas. And like, my wife goes, Yeah, that could be like a once in a lifetime thing. I'm like, well, we could just go next year. And we went and booked it. Then COVID okay. hit, so we punted it, but we ended up going in August. So that was awesome. a big one, too having my first child next month. That's That's
1: That's awesome.
0: Um, And again, like, I don't know that that's an experience, an experience. Of course it is an experience, but you know what I mean? Like that is by (laughs) far. And so I think my thought is I've done most of the things to this point that like, are like, I really want to try that, including again, getting my pilot's license and all these things. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a lot to do with her and what I'm going to be doing with my child in terms of the personal side.
1: Very cool. Hey, this has been a really great conversation. I appreciate you coming on the show. I'm excited to just follow the success of, of the new platform you guys are launching. And uh, yeah, folks, if, for listeners who are not familiar with Hawk Media, check them out. I'm, I'm really curious to see how that AI platform, I'm going to talk to my CEO, CMO about it as well. So hopefully we have another conversation at some point in the future. Thanks so much for coming on. Good. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. Another great week. We're out. Thanks for listening to Be
0: Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at becustomerled.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're
1: out.